How you doing, Sunridge? Well, you guys are already slowing down. I wish I could play guitar like George Harrison, like we were doing for Come Let Us Adore Him. That was, that was sick. That was awesome. Uh, if you're new here to Sunridge, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And for all of you that Sunridge is your home, thank you so much. We're so thrilled that uh, you're here no matter what your story is. And we hope that whatever happens in this room and around the campus for your family, that it's helping you take your next step toward God. I want to start today by asking you a question. Do you guys realize how much effort is going into making us spend more money? Are you aware of this? How much you know, research and marketing strategies are going into that. And, and um, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot. Not just getting us to spend more, but getting us to spend money on things that we had no intention of buying in the first place, right? And according to the data, that strategies, those strategies, they're working. Um, Almost everything in our shopping experience is leading us to spend money. In fact, on average, Americans spend $450 a month on impulse buying. Let, let me do the math for you. That's $5,000 a year. Consider this, the place that you likely go every week, multiple times a week, the grocery store. Have you ever wondered why the, thing that, the things that you need most are all the way at the back of the store? Like milk? And if you're a parent, the next time you go to the grocery store, especially if your kids are in tow, I want you to pay close attention to all the stuff you have to walk by to go get that gallon of milk. Likely your kids are telling you about that anyway, right? And you can't escape it, you know, going cyber shopping either. You know, Amazon will tell you as soon as you made that purchase that others who bought that, they also bought this. And that others who looked at that, they also looked at this. So it's, it's just everywhere. And heaven forbid once you make that decision and you actually buy something, or even, like, I'm wondering, like, are they listening to us? Because how long is it after, like, all these ads start coming up on your social? You know, you mention shoes, and all of a sudden, shoes are showing up in your Insta feed. It happened to me recently. And you know what? I'm seeing a lot of shoes that I really love to have. That's, that's the truth. So their strategies are working. In fact, um, Harvard professor Gerald Zaltman did some research on this, and he found that 95% of our purchasing decisions are subconscious in nature. You know, that means that only 5% of our decisions are rational. Think about that. So they're not selling you the steak. They're selling you the sizzle, right? So... In keeping with that, that kind of information, we're asking a very important question in this series that we're doing during Christmas. Does the way we spend our time, our money, and our energy during Christmas reflect what we believe about Jesus? We say he's the reason for the season, but is he? 
or are we just getting played? See, a lot of us at this time of season, that's the celebration of God's Son, we worship less, we spend more, we give less, and we struggle more. And I want to ask, what if we did Christmas differently? That's what this series is about, called Advent Conspiracy. We are, we are conspiring this month. By the way, I hope you're following along in the Advent calendar. It's super fun. It's really great for your family. But this series is about conspiring against the way Christmas has been taken over by our culture and by consumerism. But we're not going at it in the Ebenezer Scrooge kind of way. We're not against Christmas, so we're not ending Christmas. All we're trying to do is give it back to whom it belongs. So the Advent Conspiracy asks this question. What if, what if for one month, one Christmas, we, we did four things? We worshiped fully, we spent less, we gave more, and we loved all. Last week we talked about worshiping fully, and if you didn't catch that message, I would just encourage you to go to our archives and listen to it, because it kind of lays a foundation for a lot of what we're talking about here. But today I want to talk about spending less, and here's, here's my main thought. Let's conspire this month to put less in our carts so we can add more to our hearts. Wouldn't you like to do that? Now, when I say spending less, I don't mean spending nothing. Spending less is not about spending nothing. It's about making more sense of our spending. And I believe that if we spend less, we'll buy more of what truly matters to us. Because it's not just about the money. You see, the money drives so many other things. When, when we're under money stress and, and our bank account is depleted, then Many other things that are so important to us, assets that are precious to us, are also depleted. Our time, our energy, our emotions, and our affections are all tied to financial stress. And for some of us, this Christmas season, we are so tanked and under a load, a financial load, that there's nothing left. There's nothing left for our family. There's nothing left for God and there's nothing left for our church. So what I want to do today is I want to look at what are three very familiar stories to you guys uh, surrounding the Christmas story, the coming of the Son of God. Only I want to look at them from a, a kind of a different perspective than, than I've ever done before, and likely you as well. I want to ask this question as we look at these stories. How can spending less buy me more of what matters? So number one, Spend less so you have time. And to me, Elizabeth uh, illustrates this so well. If you don't know who Elizabeth was in the, in the New Testament, her husband is Zechariah. He's a Jewish priest. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're childless. And they're disappointed, obviously, in that. I mean, childlessness is painful today, but it was far more painful in their time. It meant the blessing of God. It, it, without having children, you were uh, rejected by God and you were looked down upon in that culture. So they're disappointed and they're old. And so they've kind of moved on from hope, but it's still a matter of prayer to them, even though they really don't think anything 
can happen. And then one day, while serving in his duties at the temple, Luke records that an angel of the Lord came to Zechariah. And he said to him, you're going to have a baby. You guys are going to have a baby. And I know it's crazy, but you can trust me on this. And I want you to name that child John. And he's going to pave the way for the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's John the Baptist. Then Luke records in Luke 1.24, soon afterward, right after this, Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He's taken away my disgrace of having no children. And right about the same time, an angel visits Mary and tells her, though you are a virgin, you are going to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. And look at what happens next. In verse 39 of Luke 1, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived, and she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. So she goes to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house. And then if you scroll down to verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, guys, it's going to be hard for you to get this. But any woman who's ever been pregnant is going to track with me right now. These pieces are going to come together in a way that only someone who's had a baby can relate to. Let me ask all the women here that have had babies. What would, you th what would be going through your mind if you're in your final trimester of, of a surprise pregnancy for you, and then your cousin shows up and says, I'd like to stay with you for the next three months because I'm having a complicated and untimely pregnancy? What would be going through your mind? And oh, and remember, by the way, that you're much older, so you have less energy to deal with all the extras in life, and you just came out of seclusion, so you haven't really gotten that much done, and your house is not designed for even one baby, let alone company and more babies to come. And what's remarkable about this story is that Elizabeth could make room in her schedule for Mary to come and visit and imagine what a gift that was to a young girl and last Sunday we talked about all the implications of her pregnancy and what society and pressures might be laying on her I imagine that being able to stay at Elizabeth's home was a real gift to someone who was having a pregnancy with complications. Elizabeth is a safe person, and her home is a safe place for Mary to escape. Now, let's just insert ourselves into that story. How many of us, that if we were put in that situation today, given our current situation, and a Mary shows up in our life, that needs our help. How many of us would have to deny that opportunity and say no because we're so busy? We're so busy working. So busy 
paying bills. How many of us, our schedules are so pinned, so wide open, that we could never fulfill this simple admonition from the Apostle Paul in Galatians Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. How many of us are so depleted that we don't don't just not have anything left for like a three-month stay of a young mom with child. We don't have time for coffee with a friend. We don't, we don't have time to hang out and to talk with somebody. We don't have time for our families. We don't have time for our husband or our wife. We have no time for people. We have no time to serve in our church. Not to mention, we have no time for that thing that we bought that we're in debt for. We can't even use it anymore because we're always working to pay that thing, pay for that thing. See, time is like a bank account. Maybe you've heard that before. But it's 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 a bank account you have to zero out every day. Every 24 hours, you have to use all of it. You don't get to save any of it up. And what's interesting is that time account is tied directly to our bank account. Our bank account often dictates what's happening with our time account. So spending less will buy us time for the people in our lives that really matter. Next, spend less so you can give. And I think the Magi illustrate this story beautifully. If you don't know who the Magi are, you might know them as the wise men. By the way, the Bible nowhere says that there are only three of them. It makes for a really nice nativity scene, however. But the, but the Magi were scientists of their day. They're astronomers. Only they were very holistic in their approach. They actually knew the Jewish scriptures, these scientists, who are not believers in the, in the sense that we would think of it. But they, they were holistic in how they thought about the world. And science and religion blended together. Maybe that should come back. God give us a few more magi. But they knew that the Jewish scriptures said, because the prophets proclaimed, that when this thing happens in the heavens, it means that the arrival of the Messiah is close. And when they saw a change in the stars, they made the connection with what they had learned. And then in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, we have the account of this. The star appeared to them, and it guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know that the tradition of giving gifts at this time can be traced back to what the Magi did. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't give those gifts anymore. I mean, you might give gold, and if you have extra, you can kick it my way. I'm not really interested in frankincense and myrrh. But if you've got gold you just want to get rid of, it's like, this is just too heavy. I'm just kidding. You guys all right? 
So let's, let's make this part of the story personal too. What if, what if the wise, the three wise guys showed up, but they were in your current financial situation? Would they have shown up to Jesus' birth and said, you know, we came here to worship you and we're going to do that. And we would have brought gifts with us, but we can't right now. Now, I want to acknowledge for many of you that are in the audience today that I can't right now is legit. It's real. And that's okay. This is not about trying to grind more money out of you. You know, there's a lot of ways to give. In fact, Jed is going to speak next week on the topic, Give More. And you're going to find that, like, giving is far beyond what we give out of our wallets. And, you know, I, I have good news for Sunridge that this church has almost 700 giving units. Um, that, that is far more than we had when I first came here. We're in the 400s. A giving unit is someone who's given at least $10 in the last 12 months. That's how we would describe that. Now, I don't know who you are, but this is, Pastor Bob tells me these things. So we're, we have far more givers than we've ever had. That's amazing. And that kind of increase is really remarkable. And you're giving more consistently. In fact, our consistency, and we measure that by giving in, in at least 11 months of the last 12. That has tripled here. You guys are giving more are giving, more giving consistently, and we have more first-time givers. And for that, I just praise God, and I thank you. But let's, let's, let's talk about the current Christian situation, okay? Christians, on average, are giving 2.5%, giving at a rate of 2.5% of their income. And I'm sure a lot say, I, I can't right now. Do you know that during the Great Depression, it was 3.3%? And 17% of Christians today say they, get, they regularly tithe, but the data shows that under 5% actually do. So we always, we tell ourselves we're better than we actually are. Don't we do that? You guys need to loosen up. You see, I can't give now is actually true for many of us, right? But can we just take a minute and explore whether that's our fault? You give me permission to do that. You don't have to answer because I'm going to do it anyway. Um, during last Christmas, half of us went into credit card debt in making merry. And you millennials, you were the highest in debt. Over 60% of you went into credit card debt for your Christmas-making merry. And the average American had over $1,000 in credit card debt after Christmas. And what's wonderful about that is that that's a gift that keeps on giving after Christmas, <laughs> that debt. And last year, only half of the people who were in credit card debt expected to have that debt paid off in three months. And one-third of them thought that it would take them five months. 
And by the way, if, if you're just making the minimum payment on that, it will take you about five years. You know, statistically in churches across America, and, it, and we follow this trend, January is the, one of our lowest giving months. Now that might be due to like all kinds of things, right? But I bet I could put two and two together and figure out what might be causing that. All of that merriment comes, to, comes home in January. Now, the Apostle Paul, in his uh, first letter to the Corinthians, he wraps it up in chapter 16 with this. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. He says, if you're a Christian and you're part of a church, lay aside something, and you know, I'm sure that they were paid every week, we're all paid differently, but lay that aside. And it should be commensurate with what you make. And give that. Now my, my thought here is, how can we lay aside money when, if, when every penny that we work so hard for is already spoken for. We can't do it. And how often are we wanting to help, wanting to give to something we care about, to someone we love, to our church, to a charity, to clean water? We want to do it, but we can't. And it's because we're just under this load of debt. If you spend less, you will be able to give the thing, to the things that matter most to you. Last, spend less so you can worship fully. So that, and we talked about worshiping fully last week, and to me, the shepherds are like such a beautiful picture of what it means to worship. And uh, in, in the, the story of Jesus' birth, the shepherds are on the job when an angel appears to them. And in verse 11 of Luke 2, the angel announces to them, Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And then down to verse 15, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When I read that through this lens, and I just ask, like, how did they do this? They have a job. They have responsibilities. They have a career. And, of course, they have kind of a mobile job. Someone was, we were talking uh, between services. I was talking to somebody and he said, you can, can you imagine when all these sheep showed up? You know, I, I don't know if it was sheep season or not, but, like, what? What are these guys doing here? But they were able to take part of what they do with them. So let's, let's note that. But, you know, it had to take a great amount of organization. Did they have somebody to hand it off to? It took quick planning. Now, how would the story have changed if the angel had come and announced to them that the birth of God's son was imminent and where it would take place? And in their hearts, they would just love to have gone to see this and experience the, the coming of the Son of God, but they were so busy they couldn't do it. 
And they said, we would love to be a part of that and see it, but we're too busy. I, we can't afford to take time off right now. We, we have so much going on. It would be wonderful to be at that and to worship God's son, but we can't. But you know the story they went, right? And in verse 20 of Luke 2, the sh- after having seen the Son of God, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Doesn't that sound like worship? They left this moment, this event, praising and glorifying God for all the things they had seen and heard. Now, can I note that verse 20 doesn't happen without verses 15 and 16, where when it's announced to them, they say, let's go. And Luke says that they, they hurried off. That is somehow they were flexible enough in their life that they, that they were able to be at this moment. How many of us miss moments like that? because we're just grinding it out. How many of us, if we inserted ourselves into that situation, we, we would have to say, that sounds amazing, but I can't go. I'm so busy, and, or I'm so tired from being so busy. See, debt steals from us. Debt steals our attention. According to a survey by Goldman Sachs, Americans cite expenses as the most stressful part of the holidays. It's even above family issues and weight gain in bringing the Christmas blues. Financial stress. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed about something, maybe it's money. Maybe you're like, quit talking about it, Britt, because you're just stressing me out more. I thought I could get here and not think about it, but you've been stressed. You know how distracting that is when you're stressed out about something. In fact, some of you are so distracted and stressed out right now because of debt, you've totally missed this masterful message that I've been laying out. (laughs) You've just been sitting there worrying the whole time. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. That is true. Debt steals our attention. It robs us of attention space. We have like just a finite amount of things that we can think about and it steals that from us. It steals our heart. Because when I'm in debt, I'm slave to the lender. All I can do is what my master tells me to do. So consumption, hyperconsumption, does not just eat up our cash. It also eats up our attention and our time and our thoughts and our schedule and it eats up our heart. Last week I talked about the story that Jesus told. It's like such a great story. It's called the parable of the sower and the seed. And the essence of it is that there's a farmer and he casts seed out in his, you know, getting, you know, to set up a harvest. And the, the story has a seed falling on different kinds of soil. And so it's the soil that's the outcome driver. It's not the farmer, it's not the seed, it's the soil of of the person. 
and the imagery that that seed falls on. And it's in that story that in, in Mark 4, where Jesus says the thorny ground represents those who hear and accept the good news, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for nice things, so no crop is produced. You know, spending keeps in check those things that want to naturally grow up in our lives. We don't have to sow the seeds of thorns and weeds. They're just there. They're in our culture. They're in marketing strategies. Spending less helps you to keep that trimmed back. You know, the irony about this is that often, isn't this true? Often, we're guilty of trimming out the fruitful part of our lives so that the thorns and weeds can grow freely. Right? Isn't, how often is it that our relationship with God, our church, serving, the things that that really matter in our hearts, they're the first to go so that we can just chase something else. You know, there's a trend that pastors and Christian leaders are talking about right now, and it's that the commitment of the committed Christian is waning. In other words, the expectation that a, that a church can have of its committed members is going down. It's going down fast. So like some of you can remember in the day, um, you know, you went to, when you went to church on Sunday morning, you went to Sunday school first, then you went to big church, and then you came back for Sunday night church, and then maybe sometime in a week, during the week you had a Bible study you went to, and then on Tuesday night you went on soul winning visitation. For those of you who don't know what that is, you went and ate some fried chicken at the church, they gave you some cards, and you went out and visited these people and tried to win them to Jesus. That stopped because no one would answer their door after a while. They knew what we were doing. And then you went to church on Wednesday, plus the fried chicken wasn't that good. But um, then on Wednesday night, you went to church again. And then, and then you probably had an activity on Friday or Saturday night. You went to church a lot. And what's, what they're noting today is that from committed Christians, you're going to get two to four live show-ups. So what I mean by live show-ups, it means that if, even if you're a committed Christian, we can expect you to come to two to four things and, and show up with your body. So that means if you go to a women's study on Tuesday morning, that's one. So you're, uh, you go to an activity, that's two. You may not even come to church that month because you went to those two things. That's, that's how it's working. And I can't help but think that things are just growing up around us and we're being played. And some of that is coming from this chase money culture. And spend, spend, spend. And then work, work, work to pay it all, all in the rears. And let's wonder, like, if, if we're honest, like, do you ever feel like stuff is just growing up around you? And you're, you're not even the scheduler of your life. You're a victim of everything else. And, you, you know, the picture I have is like, this, this stuff's growing around us, and it's strangling us. It's a vivid picture of the Christmas season for sure, but 
Busyness is a year-round season now. Hurriedness, I should say. It's one thing to be busy. Busy's good. I'd rather burn out than rust out myself, but being hurried just causes you to miss everything. When, if something's strangling you if, you, if you feel like you can't breathe, you can't focus on anything else. You're not thinking of other stuff. In fact, like reach to your neighbor and start choking them right now. No, <laughs> just kidding. How about, how about you do this? Let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to three. Some of you really wanted to choke that person next to you. I'm wondering like, if I have some counseling appointments coming this week. Um, I want you to hold your breath on the count of three. And then I just want to talk to you, okay? You ready? One, two, three. So while you're holding your breath, um, what are your dreams? What are, what are things like you're really thinking you want to do like next week and Think about going back to school or like, what are you dreaming about like for your church? Like, are you thinking about like, like signing up to help at something or God's been tugging on your heart? How many of you have already given up? Okay, how many of you were faking? Your mouth was closed, but you were breathing through your nose. Don't raise your hand because I just don't even want to know how people cheat in this church. But, you know, you're not alone. I, one time in my life, I took a, a spin class. This is like signing up for torture, and you have to pay for it. And there's like this crazy person in the front that's yelling at you the whole time. And what are they yelling? Go faster and make it harder. Turn it tighter. You know, I consider myself reasonably fit. I mountain bike. I work out. It was torture. And I got to where, like, I'm just going to fake it. So while I was pedaling, when... When she'd say, tighten it down, I just like pretended like I was tightening my thing. You know, I'm just confessing right now. It was like insane because I couldn't breathe. So some of you were cheating, but the point's made. It's like if something's on your mind so much and, and, and if debt is like strangling us, you can't think about anything else. See, there are hidden costs to overspending but there are countless benefits to spending less. Isn't that true? I'm going to ask the band to come up while I uh, wrap this up. And I just want to, I can't help but think about when I look at these stories, like there's a sense of urgency to all of them. You know, I, I know that Jesus has promised us that he will be present with us at all times, right? But isn't it true that we can get so busy that we can miss those moments of presence that come. Isn't that true? I mean, isn't it, isn't it true that opportunities to, to help somebody, like in that moment, or to, to give to a need, like aren't those time dependent? Don't they kind of like drop in our lives and we're either capable of, of responding to that or not? See, there's, each one of these stories has an urgency to it. Spending less lets us respond to those things. Again, spending less isn't spending nothing. And we have to spend. 
in, in, this, in Southern California, we have to have debt. I know that that makes Dave Ramsey flip over, you know, and do somersaults, but, you know, debt is a reality for us. But there's a level, right? There's overspending. That when overspending can be distracting and it can be destructive. So I say, this Christmas season, for one month, Sunridge person, for one month, spend less. Spend less so you can buy some time for yourself and for, for the people in your life that really matter. Spend less so that you can actually worship God. That when you come to church, you can focus on him and you, you can give your heart and your attention to the things of God and spend less so that when, that when that person comes in your life or that thing that you're passionate about or your church or that charity that you've been wanting to do something, spend less so that you can do that too. See what happens. Let's conspire against what the culture has been telling us we should do. And let's put Jesus back in the center of this season. Let's pray.